First Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 1. First Peter. Chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of time in the flesh, no longer for human passion, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead, for this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father and our God, we come to you this morning as humble as we know how, just to say thank you for another day. Thank you for another opportunity to be gathered in your house. Father, I pray that you bind up my thoughts and bind up uh, my opinions, Father, that everything that I say this morning would be words that you desire to come out of my mouth. Father, I pray that you would open each heart this morning that your word may penetrate and change lives. Father, again, I thank you for the opportunity and I pray for your guidance throughout. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you that keep up with it, the title um, of my message this morning is uh, Let's Get Real. Let's get real. I want you to, if you can, set your mind, close your eyes, however you got to do it. And I want you to really concentrate on and picture you by yourself in this place this morning, nobody but me and you. And I want you to imagine that God has told you to come here this morning because he has something to say to you and he's going to use me to say it to you. I don't want you to look at this message and look around at other people and try to figure out who needs this. 
I want this to be personal to you this morning. I want you to imagine that you're the only person in this place, that this message God custom um, designed just for you as an individual. I don't want anybody in here to try to push this off as it belonging to somebody else or that you're glad that such and such was here to hear it. Let's get real. I want it to be personal to every individual person sitting in here this morning. I want it to be personal to every individual that will tune in later and listen to it on the internet. I want you to understand the weightiness of what we face as Christians. I want it to be intense so that it makes you set up and, and even question, was that okay? Because it's too easy for you and I to come in and out of these doors <laughs> Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, and nothing ever changes. Nobody ever grows. Christianity really is about growth charts. Christianity really is about you being further along spiritually today than you were yesterday. It's about making progress from last month to this month to next month. It really is about you being further along this time next year than you are today. It's not okay for you to become a Christian and remain the same person you've always been and get 60 years down the road and look back and see no change. That's not Christianity. That's church attendance. That's all it is. You're filling a spot. This, this is about a living, breathing, growing relationship with your maker through his son, Jesus Christ. And that in itself should cause you to grow. It's too easy for us as Christians to come in here and hear this scripture read and just blow it off like it's some fairy tale that started with once upon a time and ended with happily ever after. It's not. This is real, y'all. It's time to get real about scripture, about God's desires in my life as a Christian. I'm not speaking to you as a pastor. I'm not saying the things I'm about to say because I'm a pastor, I'm saying it because I'm a Christian. And it accounts to me just because I'm a Christian, not because of anything else. There really should be growth. There really should be times when we don't point at the Scripture and say, boy, that's awesome, I hope such and such hears that. I hope such and such. It's for you. As Christians, we should get at a point in our lives where we don't need somebody to discern it for us. We should be able to sit down with God's Word and whatever issue is before us and look at God's Word and discern what our next move is. And that move should only be to glorify God in whatever we're standing in. So when is that time in a Christian's life? When is it that we stop pushing it aside and start taking it serious at what point does it become important to me as a Christian that I can see progress in my life spiritually day to day, week to week, month to month year to year 
it's too easy to just wander in and out and none of it mean anything. If your goal was to come to church this morning when you pulled in the parking lot, congratulations, objective accomplished. Here's your ribbon, you can go back home. But if you came here expecting to hear from God this morning, you're not done yet. Because He has something to say. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. You know what that tells me about this relationship with Christ? It's going to come with suffering. I should prepare my thinking. I should expect to suffer as a Christian. I, I, I should expect it. So why am I appalled? Why am I surprised when suffering comes to my house? I shouldn't be. According to scriptures, at what point do you get real with it? According to scriptures, at what point do you take it at its word? According to scripture, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves, me, prepare yourself, Get your mind in the right place to suffer. Hmm. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. I, I had to look on this for a little while. I had to dig those words out and, and spend some time with this. And there's, there's, many, there's many ideals, there's many um, um, opinions about what, what Peter is saying. The one that makes the most sense and the one that bears out everything is this is Peter telling us that if you have ceased from sin, in other words, made a choice to not live in sin anymore, become a follower of Christ, then you can expect to suffer. If you're not suffering for the sake of Christ, then have you really made the decision or ceased to sin, made the decision to not live in sin or to follow Christ. So in other words, one of the things in my life that tells me I'm doing what God wants me to do is I'm suffering. If everything is going my way and there is no resistance to anything I do and there is no suffering involved in my life, then am I really following the will of God? is a question I must ask myself. Suffering should be expected. You should arm yourself with the same way of thinking so that you can be ready when it comes, not surprised by it. Keep going. i got a place I'm going. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. You've got to change your mind. You've got to, you've got to rewrap the way you're thinking and quit worrying about self and human passions and get your mind trained to desire the will of God in your life above anything else. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. For the time has passed. Those days are gone to do these things. The, the days are past 
for living sensually passions, um, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. The time has passed on that stuff. It's time to forget all that garbage and forget all the selfish desires and selfish passions and get focused in on the will of God in my life as a Christian. If I'm going to call myself a Christian, then i got to walk, talk, and live like a Christian. And in coming with that is going to be some suffering. There's going to be people that don't like that idea, and they're going to make fun of me and laugh at me, and there's going to be suffering involved in this. And how I respond to all of that is what tells God, or tells me, because God already knows where I stand with Him. Do I just throw my hands up and say, well, forget it, I'm just going to quit if it's going to be that way. Or am I going to dig down and go, okay, God, I'm going to trust you to walk me through this. I want to ask you to speak to me through your word. How many of you that when crisis hits, you, the first thing you do is pick up the word? The first time somebody hurts your feelings, the first thing you grab is the word of God. No, we want to grab a telephone, <laughs> right? We want to call and make sure everybody knows how bad we've been hurt. Grab the Word of God. As a Christian, you should be growing. You should be in a place where you can discern what the Word says and you can decide. You don't need somebody holding your hand and instructing you through it. You're supposed to be a child of God. He's given you an instruction booklet. Read it. Apply it. Quit using it as a toy. God's not some genie in the bottle that you just call on when you need something. This is a way of life. At what point does it become real to you? At what point in a Christian's life can I really start to believe that the Word of God is really the most important thing in this world to me? And at what point do people start to recognize that by my actions, by my words? It's just too easy to come in and out, Sunday in and Sunday out, and nothing ever changed. And then we can't figure out why we're still dealing with the same garbage week after week after week after week. Right? Am I by myself in this? God, God, God spoke this to me sitting on my patio, my quiet space when Montana's not in it. <laughs> I'll give you a little humor just to break things up. This is a true story, and Montana will raise her hand and attest to this truth. I've gotten into the habit over the years of, of finding my quiet space being outdoors, especially early in the morning. Saturday mornings is, is the time that I do it, and, and, it's, and it's an extended time. When it ain't hunting season, I do it on the back porch. <laughs> when it is hunting season, I do it in a tree. The first few times Montana was there, and, and I'd get up early on Saturday morning, she'd come out the door and slam the door, and she'd come over and plop down beside me, and let me tell you, y'all think I talk a lot? <laughs> this sister make your ears bleed. And she plopped down there beside me one Saturday morning. I had my scriptures broke open and, and my pencils and my, and my, and my paper, and I was, I was digging into it, and I was in prayer, and I'm, I'm soaking in all of I can soak in to make sure that I'm where I'm supposed to be. And she plops down there and goes to bumping them gums. What are you doing, Papa? What are you doing? What are you, are you reading? Are you studying? What are you writing? What's the name of your message? Is your message ready? Are you ready to preach? What are you doing? I said, baby, this is Papa's quiet space 
She said, Papa, ain't no space quiet where I'm at. <laughs> Is that true? Is that a true story? That's a true story. That's a true story. Probably, probably nothing. So now, that was when she first got there. Now, like yesterday morning, she come out. I heard her open the door. She peeked around the corner. She seen my Bible was out and everything was spread out. She went back in the house. About 30 minutes later, she come give it another try and everything. And she done that until I had put stuff up, and then she comes out and joins me, and the quiet time is over. But see, this is so important that she understands that if I'm in this, if I've got my phone in my hand, she can do whatever she wants to do and be as loud as she wants to be. If all I've got on is a, is a baseball game, football game, she's more important than that. But if she walks into a space and sees that I'm in prayer, that I'm in study, that I'm in reading, that it ain't nothing she's got to say more important than that. The reason she believes that is because I believe that. You've got to believe that. You've got to understand that there has to be a point in your life where the first place you turn is God's Word. You look around at certain people and go, man, how'd they get all that knowledge? How they, they spent time with it. The same way you got all that knowledge about cars. Baseball, football, whatever the subject is, the way you got all that knowledge is you spent time with it, learning it and soaking it in. You can do the same thing with the Word of God. It can become your thing. It can become the subject that no matter what trivia question is asked, if it involves the Bible, you nail it. And more important than that, it becomes the thing that no matter what's going on in your life, you ain't got to pick up nothing but a copy of the instruction booklet. At some point as a Christian, you've got to get real. See, the reason a lot of the world rejects Christianity is they've seen Christians and they go, I don't want no part of that. And that's the truth. That's the truth. But if they could look around and see Christians acting differently than the rest of the world, seeing a group of people that really and truly believe that love covers a multitude. Do you know what that means? Love covers a multitude. Love makes you not want to be mad at somebody. Love makes it hard for somebody to hurt your feelings. Love covers a multitude of sins. They have to go out of their way to make you mad. How many of you can raise your hand this morning and say it takes a lot to make you mad? You're lying. <laughs> I can make you mad in less than five minutes, so don't raise your hand. <laughs> Love covers a multitude of sins. All my life I've heard that. And all my life it was in the context of Christ died to cover my sins. And his death covered a multitude of sins, and he'd done that out of love, so love covered a multitude of sins. That may be true, but that's not the context this was written in. That's not the context. Read it. Read it. He's talking about my love for you makes it hard for you to make me mad. My, he says this gets important. 
He says the end is coming, therefore. Look at this. Let's skip on down to that since I don't went there anyway. In verse 7, the end of all things, whoo, the end of all things, everything you've got your hope in that's not named Jesus or Lord is coming to an end. Fading away. Every, that job, that car, that house, that bank account, that kid, that college, that education, whatever your hope is in that's not named Jesus or God is fading away. And the end is at hand. It's all going away. Therefore, because everything you've put your hope in besides Jesus and God is going away, because of that, you need to be two things to start with. Do you see what those two things are? Therefore, be self-controlled. That's a struggle. Be self-controlled. You know what that means? Do you understand what it means to be self-controlled? That means that no outside source can control your actions and your thoughts. Right? In other words, Kevin can't come up here and punch me in the face and make me act any different than I act right now if I'm self-controlled. Your hateful words that you say to me over whatever can't make me act or respond any differently than I would respond any other time because I'm self-controlled. I'm not controlled by my emotions. If I'm self-controlled. I'm not controlled by your emotions. If I'm self-controlled. I don't allow the thoughts and the, and the actions of the world around me to determine how I respond to something or someone. I'm self-controlled. And you know what self-controlled is based on? God's will in my life. What's going to make him happy? What does the word say to do? What does God tell me I should do in this situation? Not what everybody else thinks, because I promise you, if the world agrees with how you're acting, you've got problems. You're not supposed to look like them, behave like them, act like them. Remember, the time for the Gentiles to do what they want to do is past. Gentiles are unbelievers. So if they agree with how you're handling things and they want to re-diagnose how you handle things, the, the, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled where you are in control, where you respond in a way that God is proud of what you just did. That God smiles at the fact that your righteousness, your holiness, all come out in a hard time. And be sober-minded. Don't let something else alter. Hey, y'all, we're not good at making decisions anytime. So you don't need something influencing <laughs> your brain cells in a negative way and think you're going to make a good decision. Listen, the end of all things is at hand. How long before you start to believe that? I'm not saying the world's coming to an end tomorrow. You should all turn or burn. 
But what I'm saying is, is Peter wrote this way back when. How much closer today is it than when he wrote it? It's pretty close, ain't it? So if it's that close and we believe that and we believe what the Scripture says, why don't we act like it? (laughs) Why don't we apply the Scriptures the way they're written to our individual lives? Why don't we apply the Scriptures into our homes? Why is some garbage on the TV more important to us than the way our kids are being raised? Why is some trophy from, from, from some league more important to us than what our children know about Scripture? I'm not trying to demonize sports. I love sports. I'm a competitive guy. I'll leave here today and watch the NFL. I know, boo, whatever. What, I don't give a rip what you think. I'm not here to please you. I'm here to please God. I'll watch, I'll watch the playoffs sometimes. The, the Braves will play sometimes. I'm not anti-sports, but I'm anti-anything that's more important to you and your kids than God is and their relationship with God. And if you can't prove to them that God's the most important thing, it's going to be hard for you to convince them that he has the ultimate say in anything in their life. And they learn that by watching you. She learns it by watching me. It's real, y'all. It's real. Some of you got grown kids. What about your grandkids? It's time for this to be real to us. If she sees me go off and blow up on everybody that don't agree with me, how do you think she's going to respond to people that don't agree with her? And I'm sitting up here telling her how, how, how great Jesus is. And she's going, I know I love him while she's busting some kid in the mouth. Right? And then I want to fly mad because she got in trouble for fighting. Heck, it's my fault. See, you've got to walk what you talk. This stuff is real and genuine to you. It will impact the way you live your life, literally. Not just on Sunday morning when you're gathered together. Every day. And it'll be so much easier to not stand up and sing louder, but to reach out to people that you see that are hurting. It'll be so much easier for you to get involved in things that makes a difference in people's life for godliness sake, for righteousness sake. And everything you're involved in becomes a display of His glory. And you know why He put you here? For that very reason, that everything you'd be involved in would be for His glory. But you can't do that and play games. It's got to be real. It's got to be real with Him. Listen to this. He says that the end of all things is at hand. Therefore... Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. If the end of all things is at hand, it's going to be pretty important for you to have an open line of communication with the maker of all things. And the way that gets hindered is by you living in a way that is opposite of what he desires from you. In other words, we can't just live how we want to and then pick up our little magic uh, genie in the bottle and rub on it and him pop out and grant our wishes. That's not how God works. What he desires is a constant relationship with each one of us that is a daily walk, and it's forward progress. And next month, 
ought to be able to look back at this month and go, man, I'm glad I've come from that into this. And it's been a, a process. And some months the growth will be so small you can hardly measure it. And some months the growth will be so big you'll go, man, I can't believe I grow that much. But there will always be forward progress. And it will always be from now to the day you leave this walk of life to the day that the flesh is completely dead. There will always be growth. If you don't have growth, there must be a problem. Listen, the Bible is described as a looking glass in James where you can pick it up and see a reflection. It shouldn't be about me telling you what you need to do next. It should be about you picking up the Word of God and looking at it and going, Oh my, I've been doing that wrong. Let me change something. Not, oh no, let's not read that again. Hope they don't preach on that. Right? Because see, there's some subjects I can come in here and preach and half of you'd be great with it. And then next Sunday I'd preach on a different one and the other half would be great with it. Right? Because there's some things we're good at. And there's some things we're not. Well, you ought to be able to look into the Scripture and find out what needs to be modified. And it ain't the Scripture. <laughs> it's you. It's me. Above all, in verse 8, above all, more important than being self-controlled, more important than being sober-minded, above all, the most important thing Peter could say right now at this time on this subject of the end of things is at hand. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. That word earnestly. I came up with serious or intense mental state. Earnestly. Love one another earnestly. Not just kind of. Don't love them like you love um, your dog till he bites your cat. Right? Because, see, when your dog ate your cat, your love for the dog went down a little. Right? That's not earnest love. Earnest love is, no matter what's going on, earnest love is a covenant. And a covenant says, I'm going to do my part in this relationship, no matter what else you do. See, that's how God loves me. God doesn't love me based on my behavior. So why do you try to love people based on their behavior? You know they ain't going to act right. They're as human as you are, and you can't act right. So why are you surprised when they don't act right? That's not earnestly loving somebody when you love them based on their response to you. See, that's a contract. A contract says, I'm going to do my part as long as you do your part. That's not what we're in. We're in a covenant. And a covenant says, I'm going to do my part regardless of what you do. I'm going to love you in spite of the fact that you don't love me. That's earnestly loving somebody. Put your feelings in your pocket and love on them. Quit worrying about how bad it hurts you. Nobody gives a rip. I got hurt too. It's just by somebody different. Why are we constantly having to explain to somebody what a Christian is supposed to do when you have in your possession, in your language, every word of it? Here's your instruction. Just do what it says. Just apply it. Take it serious. The problem is you don't take it serious. Oh, you might while I'm in here screaming and yelling for 30, 45 minutes. But you don't no more and get to the car and you forgot all of it. And you don't care anymore. 
And then we can't figure out why we can't fill the churches up. Well, heck, if I was on the outside watching how people act in here, I wouldn't come in either. Heck, it's easier to sleep in on Sunday mornings just catch an NFL. At least if they get to acting like idiots, you can cut them off. Right? So why are we surprised? And at what point does it get real for you? At what point is this not a message to somebody else? At what point do you begin to love earnestly, listen, sense love, the reason for loving earnestly above everything else, continue to love others earnestly, intently. Sense, comma, sense means because. Because love covers a multitude of sins. And what Peter's trying to tell us is, listen, the end is at time. I mean, the end times is at hand. It's getting close. It's time for the gospel to be the most important thing in the world to every Christian that walks on the earth. And the most important thing you can do is love one another. You know why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. And that means the same thing it meant when I said it earlier. I ought to love you so much and so hard that no matter what you do, it's hard for you to hurt my feelings. It's hard for me to make you mad at me. It's for me to, you to make me mad at you because I just love you too much. You know, at my house... Love covers a multitude of sins. If I go out and mess up big and make some big, dumb, bonehead decision, I know there's one place I can go where I'm not going to be judged for it, I'm not going to be ridiculed for it, and that's home because it's full of people that love me. You know where the second place ought to be? My church. This ought to be where I can come no matter what I've done, no matter how bad I've screwed up. Now, does that give me permission to just go and act out? No. No, it don't. But what it means is I've surrounded myself by a group of people that love me so much it covers a multitude of sins that I can come into this building and stand up here and go, y'all, I screwed up. And everybody just come up here and love on me and not throw rocks at me. That's what it ought to be. That's how it should be. And for a group of Christians that's been at this for a while, that ought to be automatic behavior. We ought to be to a place we can look at the Scriptures and know we can discern that that's what the Scripture says. It ain't based on what anybody else thinks. I ain't got to call and ask nobody. All I know I got to do is just love them so much that it covers up that sin and it covers up that pain. Listen to me. My... um. In Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12, this is what it says. Listen, listen, don't, don't flip, don't, they're not looking for it, listen. Hatred stirs up strife. Proverbs 10, 12, the first part of it says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. I wish every one of you would take Proverbs 10, 12 and go home with it this week and don't do nothing but meditate on it. Just sit in your quiet space where Montana's not and most just continually read and think about Proverbs 10, 12. Hatred stirs up strife. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. If you did that, if the whole church did that, 
mine and Kevin's phone would almost quit ringing. Because you'd stop and think, hang on, <laughs> hatred stirs up strife. I don't hate somebody. Love covers all offenses. If I love somebody, they can't offend me. Boy, that's a crazy look you got, and I agree with you. I agree. Love covers a multitude of sin. At what point in my growth chart, at what point as a Christian in my walk does that become real to me? At what point do I take that serious, apply it to my life, and start using it on a daily basis? People that, that don't like me, people that don't know me, at what point can I love them enough that I don't respond out of emotion to something they did or said? At what point can I walk into whatever trial that God decides to allow to come into my life like he did in Job and be able to just love so much, to just love God so much that instead of jumping up and shaking my fist at the sky, that I fall down in worship. And I go, you know what? God gave, God takes away, but no matter what happens, blessed be the name of the Lord. At what point is that reality to me? As a Christian, not as a pastor, not as a Sunday school teacher, not as a leader, as a Christian. At what point is it reality? Listen, y'all, this thing isn't written in some strange language so that only I can understand it. I can't half read. If I can get it, anybody can get it. I have to read it six times to understand what it's saying. Ain't nobody in here slower in your thought process than me. It's not written to me. It's written to all of God's children. Remember, the veil was tore to give you open access into the throne room of grace. So you don't have to have a mediator. Your mediator dwells inside of you if you're a child of God. The Holy Spirit, He can guide you through these things. He can help you to understand these things. You shouldn't be dependent upon me to tell you what the Scripture says. That's a dangerous way to live as a Christian. The Bible speaks highly uh, multiple times about people that will be misguiding folks. You know how you keep from getting misguided? You've got to know it yourself. So at what point is all of this real to you as a Christian? I was at the shop this week. <clears throat> uh, my, my service truck has been tore up. I was standing there by my toolbox. We were in the process of tearing down an engine and a backhoe. Thursday or Friday one. And I was in deep thought about this. God's been showing me this for a while. And I was standing by my toolbox. <clears throat> and I was looking at the backhoe just, you know, just in a daze. Y'all know how you get co-worker was standing at the other end of my toolbox, which, believe it or not, is a pretty good distance. Got a big toolbox. <laughs> and he looked up at me and he said, uh, you're in deep thought, ain't you? I said, yeah, I am. He said, what are you thinking about? And I just kind of smiled and I said, I ain't trying to be hateful, but you wouldn't understand. 
Well, fine then. I said, no, no, don't get, don't get ill about it. I'm just telling you that what I'm in thought about, a carnal mind cannot understand. And a carnal mind is just somebody that don't think in a spiritual manner. And he just kind of stood there and looked at me with this crazy look, and I said, see, you can't understand what I've spoke to you this morning. If you can't understand it, I beg you to come tell me that. Because the only thing I got to say is a carnal mind can't understand spiritual things. So we got to get you out of your carnal mind and get you into your spiritual mind to get you where you can understand this. Because I ain't said nothing this morning that was complicated. I didn't use as many stories and many funnies as normal, and that wasn't by accident. Need you, I need you to really understand this, and I really meant what I said about pretending like you're the only one in here and that I'm talking straight to you because I believe this is something that every, every Christian everywhere can use. I believe there's an, an, an aspect of this that can be applied to every Christian everywhere, and I hope that you got that, your part of that this morning. I really hope you did. The uh, worship team's going to come up here, and as they're coming up here, I'm going to talk to you for just a second. I want to encourage you to continue that thought process of you being the only one in here in the regard of don't let somebody else stop you and what they think or what you think they might think stop you from coming to this altar this morning. If God has spoke to your heart and you've got something that you need to come up here and pour out in this altar, you come do that. And I promise you, that there's enough people in here that do know how to love you, that will gather around you and love on you.